Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you. But first, actually, I had the weirdest nightmare. Um, doesn't really matter what it's about, uh, but basically these, it's not, not relevant, it's not a secret. But basically, uh, started when I got you know kidnapped that one time, the, the latest time, several years ago. But it keeps me up sometimes. I don't have it every night, it's, it's pretty rare. But it keeps me up sometimes until I run a few dozen outcomes and sort of refine each of the outcomes, and it can take hours. Do you have anything like that, Jason, where you have like a recurring dream, a recurring nightmare, and you kind of go through what you would do in that situation, and then if it works, you, you're, you're somehow your brain is satisfied, but if it doesn't work, you run it again, and you try something else, like a video game? I had something like that. I, I had one where my teeth kept falling out, and then I finally did some research, and it turned out that that's one of those signs that your life might feel like it's out of your control. So I would get up ah. and actually write down the things that were bothering me. And once I got them on paper, I could go back to sleep and I was fine. Oh, that's interesting. I've never had that one. I heard that's a super common dream, though. It's terrible, though. Oh, man, it's it's just it, 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 I'm even getting like chills thinking about it. It is one of it the is. most unpleasant nightmares you can have. I have these things in my head where I go through social scenarios and things like that or social engineering or negotiations and stuff like that. And I run these sims in my head. And it's great when I'm just relaxing. If I'm in an airplane or something, it's super fun. It's really interesting. But if you're trying to sleep, it's kind of a pain. Yeah, no doubt. I don't know. How many other people have that? Do you run sims in your head a lot? Does it happen while you sleep? I'm very curious. I know people envision things, you know, where they, they try to run a scenario in their head, but I'm just wondering how many people wake up and find out that they've been doing it in their dreams and they do it all the time, and it's not just anxiety. Or is it just things that make you anxious? That's what I'm curious about. All right, let's cut to it. Hey, Jordan and AOC friends. I recently joined a VC firm where I report directly to the C-suite. I love my work and career and couldn't be more ecstatic about life. But it wasn't always this way. I struggled for years trying to make ends meet. During that time, I dated a tech entrepreneur who was nice but constantly treated me like I'd never amount to anything. He blew off dates because he had to meet with the son of, insert famous tech founder here, and even told me point blank once that I didn't have anything to offer him career-wise. <clears throat> nice. Wow. Yeah, tell me about it. I don't know why I didn't dump him right then. We later split for other reasons. At this point, his startups have all failed, and now he's languishing. Since I have a relatively high position at a VC firm, he recently reached out. I have no desire to help him. He treated me like dirt when I had nothing, but I'm afraid that I'm being overly petty and that I could be missing out on a fantastic investment that will better everyone. I toiled to get where I am, but I treated everyone I met with respect and dignity. I genuinely believe that's why I came out on top of my ex, even though he had a running head start. Should I help him out? What say you, AOC? Much appreciated, Nouveau Tech. P.S. Minisode Mondays are the first thing I listen to every week. I like how that's a secretly not really a compliment, right? Minnesota Mondays are the first thing I listen to every week. Yeah, because it's the first thing that we release every week. <laughs> Technically, it should be. No, I appreciate that, Nouveau Tech. Look, forget this guy. Forget it. Um, this guy sucks. Really. Oh, I've got to blow you off because I'm meeting with someone else. He didn't bring you? Hi, this is my lovely girlfriend. I mean, Seriously. that's fine. Or, you know, maybe he can make other plans with you and... You don't have anything to offer him career-wise. What the hell? That's a weird thing to say to somebody who you're dating. Of course, Even if that were true, which it obviously isn't now, that's not really the point of a relationship, a personal relationship. The guy sounds like he's just totally got his head up his butt. And 
look, I don't think you're being petty. I think he's shown you his cards and you reacted to, well, late enough, but now you're, you're over it. And look, maybe you are missing out on a fantastic investment that could better everyone. Then fine, hand it off to somebody else at the VC firm and they can make an unemotional decision about it because emotions can get in the way of business decisions here. And on the other side of that same coin, he will likely try to manipulate you with emotions. So you, because of the person that he is and the position that you're in and what he's trying to do, he has an agenda now. Now you have something to offer him career-wise, right? And you know how he treated you when you didn't. How do you think he's going to treat you now that he needs you? It's going to be the opposite of what he did before. Tons of attention. I made such a mistake, blah, blah, blah. Don't believe anything that he says as long as he stands to gain something from you. That's the rule. If he stands to gain something from you, you cannot trust him. That's not true for everyone. That's true for this guy especially. And there's something I'm reading between the lines here. I think he will hurt you once he's done with you because of how he treated you in the past. And I think he will not care when he does. Because he didn't care before when you were in a relationship. Why would he care now? He, he secretly, I'm betting, really resents the fact that you have even a remote shred of power over him right now. Oh, Absolutely seething right now that he that you're the gatekeeper and that he messed it up he's so annoyed by that that he's actually going he would if if able to i think he would actually take that out on you but he knows better than to do that right now anyway and i personally if it was me in that position i wouldn't even introduce him to anybody to my firm because what if he does actually get his hooks into somebody else there and then you're going to have to deal with him working through somebody else so he's still going to be around and still, like, you know, trying to manipulate you emotionally. And I wouldn't even want him anywhere near my firm. That's a really good point. You know, if it was an ex of mine, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even give them the opportunity to talk to anybody at my firm, just in case they're good enough to get in the front door. And then what if the deal goes sideways and then you've brought this person in who you already know treats people like dirt. And then if that deal goes bad, then it reflects poorly on you. I would just stay the hell away from this guy. Sounds like a douchebag. Yeah, you're right. I already regret my su suggestion. You're totally right. It's This is only going to cause a problem for you. Even if you had a really great investment, I don't think anybody would fault you as saying, look, you know, I passed on this guy because he was horrible to me personally, and I didn't want to have him in the company because I know he's a really bad seed. I don't know much about VC firsthand, but I do know that if someone in the firm says this person is terrible and is an awful person and very selfish and blah, blah, blah. He's not running the next Facebook, most likely. He's right. not running Facebook now. It's not worth anything. He needs seed capital. That's fine. Hand it off to somebody else, maybe with a warning, but certainly not where you're working. Uh, and I think a lot of people who invest in things want to work with nice people, not with jerks. And so I think that those cards should all be out on the table. I mean, he he certainly has no problem using people for what he needed in the past personally and, and frankly, through business. So don't think his stripes have changed no matter what he says. I just I know he's going to try to reel you back in with the tractor beam of charm. You know, that's just how those guys roll. So be careful. The tractor beam of charm. I like that. Yes. <laughs> all right. Next one. Hello, Jordan. I hope you're having a good day wherever you are. I am. I stumbled across the Art of Charm podcast recently, and I've really been enjoying it. After a recent move, I'm now trying to become a better person and leave everyone I meet better off in the process. I have a question regarding making friends that I was hoping you could help with. Basically, I'd like to meet lots of people during the day, but it seems like the only place to do that easily is at nightclubs, and I'm not a night owl. Do you have any recommendations? 
I figured I could cut back on drinking and improve my sleep if I was able to go out on fewer weekends. Best regards, Richard. Yeah, this is interesting because I, I don't know how many people think that meeting people at nightclubs is easy. Um, I'm not sure what Richard's background here is or what the context here is, but I think the best recovery from any kind of breakup or any kind of move is to become better just as a person, become a better human. So what I like to recommend when people are either trying to get over a breakup or they just move to a new place or they want to meet new people, make a list of skills that you've always wanted to learn. Tango and Italian cooking and beekeeping, whatever. Find classes in your area that specialize in those and take those classes. You don't have to take them all at once. You can start, you know, with two classes a week and move on from there when they end and things like that. So to have a sampler platter while also having a life. Worst case scenario, even if you meet no one, you have tons of new skills and they were interesting and probably very cost effective to learn. Best case scenario, you're going to have a new social circle with people who are interested in learning either learning things that you were interested in or learning in general. You'll also see those same people all the time in those classes, so you'll have a chance to form a deeper relationship than you would at a bar or a nightclub or something like that. The key here is building a better social circle. You're not just meeting people to date or you're not just meeting people at uh, you know the, the bars and the clubs and things like that. It's a better circle all around with men and women in it. And uh, we go through an exact process for this, a very in-depth process for this, for people who have just moved to a new town. Episode 400 is called Moving to a New Town. It's primarily designed for guys who move to a new town, but there's plenty there for anybody who's moved to a new town. And we go over how to create a brand new social circle, how to manage that social circle, create events and a platform in the context of that social circle, etc. Episode 400, and we will link that in the show notes as well. But the the short of it is, make a list of skills, go out and learn those skills in a social environment, and then you'll be able to really kick off the process. And another thing is, if you have a skill, try teaching a class. Oh, there you go. Like when I moved to this new town, I checked out nextdoor.com and found my town, signed up, and then offered a class on podcasting. And then immediately, 40 people who live around me all started emailing me, and now I know a bunch of new people. And you can find places in your town that will give you free space to, like, you know, hold classes. The library here has a, a full room that I can go and book out for free because I live in the neighborhood and teach a class. And that way you get to meet people and be the expert at the same time. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, that is not a bad idea, especially if you have a, a nice skill that you really enjoy learning. And then you're you're the, you're the speaker at that event, right? You're the center of that attention. And, and I know a lot of guys are probably thinking like, oh, I don't, I don't care about this. You know, I need something that is going to make me more dateable or have women around. And I'm not saying that's what Richard's aiming at here, but focus on building a fully healthy social circle before you focus on bringing other people into it that are the opposite sex. It's much easier to build a social circle than it is to try to create something from nothing uh, relationship-wise. Because remember, people want to be a part of your world when your world is in order. Nobody wants to inherit the fixer-upper, or at least healthy people don't want to do that. And now a quick message from our newest sponsor. Remember, supporting our sponsors is the best way to support the show. That's right. AJ, did you know socks, tees, and underwear are the three most requested clothing items in homeless shelters? I had absolutely no idea. Bombas knows, and they're doing something about it, making ridiculously comfortable versions of all three and donating one for every item sold. With all the clothing brands out there, it's nice to find some basics that don't just feel good, but do good too. 
That is completely amazing. And that's why we're so excited to be working with our newest sponsor, Bombas. To date, Bombas, one purchase equals one donated commitment, has helped customers donate over 100 million essential clothing items to people facing homelessness. That's a lot of good done by people just buying the Bombas they wear every day. Visit bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. And once you try Bombas, you'll know why so many people have purchased and donated so many. The comfort geniuses at Bombas work tirelessly to make your everyday things your favorite things. Whether there's an arch-supporting sock that feels like it was sculpted to your foot, a buttery soft tee with no itchy tag, or underwear that feels like nothing while supporting everything. The best part, AJ, Bombas has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you got the wrong size, your dog chews up your socks, or a pair vanishes in the washing machine, and you know they will, it's easy to get a free return, exchange, or replacement. There's nothing worse than when Puppers gets a hold of my favorite Bombas athletic socks. They're precision engineered for being active with sweat wicking power, impact cushioning, blister defense, and no annoying toe seams that get between you and your goals. I try to limit my essential purchases to one time a year, and I was so pumped to know that Bombas has my underwear, socks, and tees needs completely covered. I have been loving the soft underwear and tees here in Medellin. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash charm and use code charm for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash charm and use code charm at checkout. All right, next up. We got a question here. Jordan, how did you break yourself of the habit of checking social media every day? Ah, yes. Good question. Um, I don't check social media every day. I've gone on long hiatus, hiati from <laughs> that as well. Uh, look, it was not easy. Sugar and salt is how our brains evolved to food stimulus. And it is the same thing with online media. Anger and dopamine. Anger and dopamine, right? <laughs> on Facebook and political discussions on Twitter, et cetera. It, it was hard originally, especially for me, because I could justify that this was for business. Oh, I'm generating leads. Oh, I'm, I'm engaging with fans. Now I'm mostly on Twitter and Facebook, but I don't read the feeds. I just interact with fans of the show there and Messenger and things like that. And I like Twitter because it has to be kept short. Messenger is really easy to use, and it's, it's easy for me to sort of save things for a lot later. The goal of social media, just like television, is to get you to stay watching. The goal is to get you to stay watching, just like TV. Jerry Springer just kept you gawking, right? Nothing more. And that's a really bad way to live. It's a complete waste of time for 99 out of 100 of us. Personally, I like to batch this. Uh, we talk about this a little bit in the AOC challenge, which, by the way, the theartofcharm.com slash challenge. I like to do immersion weekends and things like that for topics like I'll study Russia for the whole weekend. I'll write, read a bunch about Vladimir Putin for the whole weekend or a couple weeks in, weekends in a row. I like to batch the social media. It'll be like, all right, I'm going to spend two hours. I'm going to answer all these tweets or whatever. I'm going to go through my Facebook inbox. I don't react to it. I batch it. And that's been hugely life-changing. If you can batch it and you know you'll get to it later, the pull of getting that quick hit every few minutes or whatever when a little ding goes off, turn off those notifications, uh, then it eventually goes away. You can turn off all those notifications. You can handle everything in a batch once a week or so so you don't miss anything important. Not that there is anything in there important, but then you don't feel that pull all the time and then you don't have the habit anymore. And it is, it's very freeing, frankly. And get the apps off your phone. 
Yes, get the apps off your phone. That is that is a really good point. You definitely, definitely want to make damn sure that you don't have those hitting all the time and beep, beeping and dinging or being your default mode of action when you're standing in line or bored or something like that. I took Facebook and Twitter off my phone about a month ago, and I swear to God, I even sleep better now. Everything is everything is better. The flowers smell nicer. People are people are more friendly. Everything has changed. But it it's tough at first. That first week is tough. But once you get used to it, man, is it it's liberating. So I found an interesting article that someone had sent me. If a fan of the show, I neglected to write down who it was. Sorry about that. If you sent this to me, thank you. But uh, it's called "Why Americans Smile So Much," and it's from the Atlantic. And the argument is how immigration and cultural values affected what we do with our faces. And I will link this, of course, into the show notes here. It's by Olga Kazan, a fan of the Art of Charm as well. On Reddit forums, there's a little joke that says, what's a dead giveaway that someone's American? One trait comes up over and over again. Big toothy grins. And uh, this user's in Finland. It says, when a, train, when a stranger on the street smiles at you, you A, assume he's drunk, B, assume he's insane, or C, assume he's an American. And those are the people that smile at strangers in Finland. And the argument here, without, uh, without all the full spoilers here, is that since America is a land of immigrants, there were a lot of language barriers, we learned to rely much more on our nonverbal communication to speak and interact with people, and it became a cultural thing. And so it became polite to do that. And there's a couple of scientific studies noted here that show why Americans are more apt to use positive, open, friendly, nonverbal communication. Much of what we kind of teach here on The Art of Charm that works so well. Uh, and so in that way, we're maybe a course on how to become American and that much, uh, that much more. And I remember long, long time ago, 15, no, 20 years ago almost now, some of my first clients as a coach were foreigners that I was teaching both dating stuff, you know, cultural stuff, as well as how to get along with other Americans. There were these German guys that I met at the gym when I was in college, and since I spoke German, we would hang out. And they would make all these weird cultural mistakes, and I started working those out and explaining things to them, and they would always ask me why certain things were. And that's one of the first things that got me thinking about the curriculum, that, or the, the things that now make up the curriculum here, of the Art of Charm. So check that out. Why Americans Smile So Much from the Atlantic. We'll have that linked in the show notes here as well. All right, Jason, next question. Hello, Jordan. I'm a 30-year-old real estate agent, and I have a question. I look young for my age, and I'm five foot one. A lot of the people that I work with frequently refer to me as hun, babe, young lady, etc. I find it disrespectful. So my question is, how do I politely ask them to stop? This is really disrespectful. You're right. This is really inappropriate, frankly, for work environment. I, I understand that you're 30 and you look young and you're small and cute or whatever, but that doesn't excuse any of this. I would do this, and I know there's going to be a lot of opinions on this subject, but I would do this. Have private conversations with those people because I think a lot of people, especially older gentlemen, they don't necessarily realize that what they're doing, I know it's shocking, but they don't necessarily realize that what they're doing is not appropriate. They think they're being cute or friendly and they may not realize it. Some will realize it and not care, and that's fine. But after the private conversation, be cool with them, as cool as you can. I think a lot of people, I know how I would react to this. I would be super embarrassed, and I might even avoid you a little if I didn't know it was all good. So you could do something like, one, have a private convo telling them that you don't like it and why, and then 
after that, hey, I'm going to go grab a sandwich. Uh, do you want anything? Or if you're going out in a group, invite them, include them in the group so they don't think, oh, Janice hates me now. Damn it. I'm so stupid. Oh, man, I better not talk to her again. I'm going to get in trouble. You don't want that weird vibe in the office. So if you invite them along, make sure it's a group thing so they don't get even more confused. And this delivers the message without them being worried that they've got an enemy in the office now. And if they don't stop, tell HR. Don't let it drag on forever. If that doesn't work, leave the company, file a complaint, file a lawsuit. This is obviously the last resort. Nobody really wants this, I assume. But here's the real clincher. Document all of this with times, dates, and names. Next time they say, hey, baby, what are you doing this morning, sweetheart? Write it down in a little journal or on your phone. Times, dates, and names. Context, everything. The more complete, the better. And if you can transfer it to paper or uh, an email or something like that, keep it on file with an attorney. In fact, you might even be able to keep this on file with an employment lawyer who works on a contingency basis. What that means is they don't get paid unless they win a lawsuit. And I'm not saying you're going to sue your employer, but I think a contingency lawyer might be inclined to let you document this with them in their office for free because they'll be incentivized to keep the file because if you do need to sue and you do need those letters, they'll get first crack at the business, and that's how they make their money. The reason it's important to document this with an attorney is because if ever anything happens, you don't want to go, well, they've been doing this for a long time. Well, how do we know you're telling the truth? Well, I took notes. Oh, good, you took notes. Well, that's great. Well, how do we know you just didn't make the notes yesterday? If you're filing all this stuff in real time, you know, you can create one master list of all the things you remember, and then you can file them individually with the lawyer, and he will, he or she will be able to show you, hey, look, you've been documenting this for seven months. This is not getting any better. And the judge and jury is much more inclined to believe in ongoing documentation that's been given to an attorney and filed over time rather than suddenly one day you had 18 pages of notes of you being harassed in the office, even if you're telling the truth. It's just much more credible that way. So document all of that. And frankly, I hope the polite private conversation angle works. That's the low-key, low-stress way to handle it. I think it's the easiest way to handle it. But um, if it doesn't work, you've got a bigger problem on your hands, and I don't think you should let it slide. So you don't think coming back with, hey, Gramps, don't get your depends in a bunch is a good way to to fix the problem? (laughs) I think if you did that, you might get a laugh. But the problem is, I think then people might be like, oh, she's cool. We talk back and forth inappropriately. Some offices are for sure like that, right? But if she doesn't like it, then probably, yeah, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, right? Yep. All right. Next question, Jason. Hi, Jordan. I recently listened to your podcast with Adam Braun, and it basically ruined my life. And, <laughs> okay. and for reference here, this is our Adam Braun episode from a few years ago. So this person is going to be doubly upset because... The day before this Fan Mail Friday airs, we released a new episode of Adam Braun. Yep. So we're going to doubly ruin your life. Or maybe it will undo everything. Yes. This year has been a really interesting one. I've done a lot for myself. I'm probably not your average listener because, well, I'm a 17-year-old female high school student. My dad and I have listened to your podcast for about two years now, and my dad is even coming to a boot camp this summer. Oh, cool. Yeah, cool dad. I took a small hiatus from listening to the podcast for about a semester simply because I was extremely busy. I've had a struggle with anxiety disorders and clinical depression for a while now, and I did a lot of work with that the first half of the year, and while I wouldn't say I'm completely better or healed, I'm very proud of finally being able to ask for help. Once I started working on this area, I decided to start planning out some of my future and just some ways that it might turn out. This was a big source of anxiety in my life. I finally had it all worked out. I finally decided on a career that I thought was a good balance of something I would like and had a passion for, 
but also allowed me to make enough money to maintain the same lifestyle my parents have been able to provide me with. The podcast with Adam completely changed everything. (laughs) It got me so anxious all over again. I realized that the majority of adults I see live to work, and praise God for the weekend, do enough to retire, then die. I know I'm meant for something more than this, but I don't know how I'm supposed to achieve it. I'm just a normal person. I would say I have better people skills than the average person, and I would say that I'm smarter than the average person as well. Even though this is true, I've never been the best student because I have a hard time doing tasks that I deem useless. (laughs) Get in line. So I'm not going to be some Ivy League graduate. Along with this same idea, I'm not the best at any one thing. Rather, I'm pretty good at most or at least a lot of things. I'm having a hard time connecting to these people you have on the show who seem to be exceptions and not the norm to my own life. I want to make a real difference, and it seems to me that I won't get the opportunity. When I ask my parents or relatives, their answers are something along the lines of, if you make enough money, then you'll be able to donate your resources and your time however you want to. But these people seem to make their resources and change the world all at once. I just finished my junior year of high school, and so I'm reaching the home stretch. I'd really appreciate any advice you can give me because, well, I don't have much time before I have to start making some decisions, and I'd like to make good ones. How can I turn myself into someone that you will one day be begging to get on the podcast? I know I have the potential. Thanks, Maddie, your most passionate teenage female listener. Well, first off, Maddie, you're way ahead of your time. I I love this. And in the adult's defense, they mean well, but they are wrong here. You're, You're correct. I I think um, Adam Brown maybe didn't ruin your life. Maybe you just had your eyes opened. So definitely check out Adam Brown's Mission U School if you're interested in things like that. Of course, it's data analytics. That might not be for you. But this goes back to something Scott Adams mentioned, which is skill stacking. You don't have to be the best, at as you mentioned. Oh, I'm only mediocre at this, that, and the other thing. Stack the skills. If you're not sure what we're talking about, look for the Minnesota Monday that we did with Scott Adams. In fact, maybe we can link to that, where he talks about being good but not necessarily the best at several different things and stacking them together for example you don't have to be the best chinese linguist but if you speak chinese and you know some javascript and you're familiar with the drop shipping environment of the united states markets and economies with amazon or something like that then you've got a very unique skill set suddenly and you don't need to be ivy league you don't need to worry about any of that stuff with skill stacking and if i had to do it all over again I would intern and I would work for peanuts to get skills at different places and with high performers. The mission here, as my friend Charlemagne the God says, is get in the building and then stay in the building. So your mission here is not to get an Ivy League education if you don't want one. It's not to figure out how to be the best at something. It's to get in the building, get near high performers in the areas that you think you might want to work in, even if you change your mind later, getting skills with those people is always going to be a good thing. Learn how they think, build skills working with those people, and then hustle your little teenage buns off working with those people, figuring out how they think and how you can be of value to them. That is the biggest leverage you can get at your age. So thanks for listening to the show. I'll see your dad at boot camp. Keep applying what you've learned here. You are a decade ahead of even people who are early to this stuff. So congratulations there. You're going to be unstoppable. Stop worrying about it all the time. I would like to point out, though, one thing that she said that kind of caught my caught my ear was that she's not she doesn't think that she's the best at anything. And that's what you covered with the skill stacking. But all of the people we have on the show might not be the best either. They're just normal folks. Oh, true. You know, you don't have to be the best at something and do this all at once. This all comes on building and building and building your your skills over time. Don't expect to jump into whatever 
area that you want to jump into and be the best. You know, it just takes time and everybody works on this stuff. And, you know, it takes 10 years to be an overnight success. Always remember that. Great point. All right. So before we wrap here, I loved this parable and I hadn't heard it before. And it largely sums up a lot of the mission and message of the art of charm. So I thought I'd share it with you all. It's called Growing Good Corn. There was once a farmer who grew award-winning corn. Each year, he entered his corn in the state fair where it won a blue ribbon. And one year, a newspaper reporter interviewed him and learned something interesting about how he grew it. The reporter discovered that the farmer shared his seed corn with his neighbors. A reporter asked, how can you afford to share your best seed corn with your neighbors when they're entering their corn in competition with your corn every single year? Why, sir, said the farmer, didn't you know? The wind picks up pollen from the ripening corn and swirls it from field to field. If my neighbors grow inferior corn, cross-pollination will steadily degrade the quality of my corn. If I'm to grow good corn, I must help my neighbors grow good corn. This farmer is very much aware of the connectedness of life. His corn cannot improve unless his neighbor's corn also improves. And so it is with our lives. Those who choose to live in peace must help their neighbors to live in peace. Those who choose to live well must help others to live well. For the value of a life is measured by the lives it touches. And those who choose to be happy must help others to find happiness. For the welfare of each is bound up with the welfare of all. The lesson for each of us is this. If we are to grow good corn, we must help our neighbors grow good corn as well. Hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I keep everyone anonymous. You can either make up your own funny name. We can try to do it. Y'all are much better at that than Jason and I, though, so keep that in mind. And if you got feedback for the show, we're fans of strong opinions loosely held, and we love to argue like we're right, but of course also listen like we are wrong. So don't be shy to hit us up over here, also at Friday at theartofcharm.com. And if you've got your own advice for some of the people you've heard from today, let me know. If it's something that can help everyone, I may read it on the show as well. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF119. And if you're listening to AOC in the Overcast player for iPhone, please click that little star icon. It helps our listings and introduces new people to the show. Quick shout-outs to Matthew Fox, who is biking all the way across the USA. That sounds awesome, actually, especially in this weather, unless it's raining and pouring like it is over there by you, Jason. And uh, to Chris Hemsworth. That's right, Thor. You're kidding me. Not kidding. That is awesome. I love Chris Hemsworth in that movie. Yeah, Thor. Apparently an AOC guy. So, awesome. Are you in a strange land listening to my familiar voice? If so, hit me up and I'll shout you out. I'd love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter, at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. Jason, you're on Twitter, yeah? Yep, I'm on Twitter at JPDef. That's J-P-D-E-F. And you can also catch my podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, every Monday. We're in the Podcast One app, iTunes, or go to GOG.show to find out more. Also, don't forget about the Art of Charm Challenge. Text the word CHARMED, that's C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444 in the States, or just go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Uh, it's international, and it's unisex. So it's really, really good for taking you step-by-step, making better personal and professional connections, becoming a better networker, increasing your personal social capital, your charisma. Again, for both guys and gals, you can do it anywhere. Minimal time commitment each week. Text the word CHARMED, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444, or go to com slash challenge. More from AOC at The Art of Charm, including info on our live residential boot camps that we run every single week here in L.A. If you really want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, check it out at theartofcharm.com slash boot camp. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.